What's going on, everyone? It's Mike and John, and we're here bringing you this week's episode of Beard Stroke and Bullshit. John, we haven't. It hasn't been that long, so let's not yeah. fuck. Let's not fuck around. It really let's... depends on when that other episode gets posted, but yes, no, relative <laughs> and and truthfully, it has not been that long. Um, so let's just get into it. Uh, I am so stoked to announce our guest. Uh, we have Mr. Rob Sharon with us. Rob, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, dude. Um, uh, my quick story is that I think I found you because you were doing your cursed items giveaway. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I still, I still have it, and it still, uh, it still works. So, uh, That's amazing. <laughs> I, I, uh, I think I found you that way, and then I kind of did some some research and saw the stuff that you had posted, uh, and and I, I'd love to get into this because I'm I'm a huge music dude, um, and I always the one thing that I always go uh, I talk to people about when buying records or going to see bands is uh, the artwork and the stage design and layout. Now uh, I'm curious and I'm sure you've probably told the story a bunch, but I, I need to know how you got involved with, with nine inch nails. Um, well, it was a, uh, it was a strange little journey of uh, luck and fortune in my young life. I was um, when I was in high school when I was like, I don't know, 15, 16, um, I was really into like really into the internet and shitty early nineties internet, you know? <laughs> um, and I wanted to learn everything I could uh, about like building websites and stuff like that. So I decided to teach myself HTML and make a website. And back then, you know, you make my homepage and things I like, you know, like links and stuff like that. So I did that. And then I was like, okay, I want to, I want to build something like more, in depth, what should I build a website for? Well, maybe I'll build one for my favorite band at the time, Nine Inch Nails. So I built a Nine Inch Nails fan site uh, in high school. And uh, it became a pretty popular one and amongst the, the ring of sites that were out back then. And then uh, I went to college uh, and, you know, left that behind. Um, but it was still up. And... Uh, at around that time, my first year of college, Nine Inch Nails was looking for someone to come aboard and work on their first official website. They didn't have one yet. And um, their publicist looked up some of the um, best ones, and uh, they contacted me. I was just a college kid, first year of college, and the, like the like my favorite band in the world is like, hey, you want to come work for us <laughs> and, and uh, work on our website? And so I went down and interviewed with Trent, which was crazy when I was 19. And um, they, we hit it off, and uh, they were like, okay, cool. Well, quit school. Come down here. Join a rock band. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I, I left school, moved to New Orleans, and started working on their website. And that just kind of um, snowballed as in, into more and more stuff as I got to um, – as I got to know Trent more and, and he started liking uh, my creative ideas. And so pretty soon I was doing album covers and um, t-shirts and music videos and then stage design and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And we kind of, I mean, cause you and I have been kind of back and forth since we first started talking post your announcement uh, for the DC vertigo for high level, um, which we'll, we'll get into, but you, we, we kind of were talking about, um, you know, like marketing and, and budgeting. Uh, and you were like, no, nah, this is like nowhere near, you know, 
what I'm trying to do with what I did, you know, with year zero. And like that, I have to say has to be one of my, like after with teeth, that's one of my favorite albums because of everything that followed behind that album. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of the, of all the things we did uh, when I was with Inch Nails, it was definitely probably the thing that I'm the most proud of. One of the things hard to say, but um but that was an amazing, amazing experience. And we always look back on it like, fucking A, that was cool. <laughs> and um, it was, it, in a lot of ways, it was that experience that, um, that led me to uh, having this comic book now. Um, because my, my editor followed that experience really closely and, and thought, uh, hey, this guy might have some other ideas. <laughs> Wow. And that's that's insane, man. Yeah, like, like, do you do? I always think about this. Like, the turns you make in life—the left turn or the right turn—and how it leads you down a particular path. By making that website, you totally you make you made something. You really created a life worth living. Like, it's it's insane. So, let that be a lesson to everyone out it's, there. If, if it's a left yes, or a right, ser- go straight. Maybe seriously, <laughs> seriously, kids. If you're thinking about making something that you want to make, make it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you never know. There's a, there's a my there. my life has been. Uh, has been crazy, crazy beyond anything in my world is that website. I never would have imagined. I have this, I have this photo of myself um, when I was in high school in my high school bedroom. And when it, when it surfaced recently, I was looking at it and laughing because there's posters on the walls of my bedroom behind me. And there's a poster of Nine Inch Nails and then there's a poster of death from the Sandman, <laughs> and, and I'm like, I'm like, holy shit! Now I need to study this to see what's gonna happen next. <laughs> there's, there's something here. There's something. Yeah, my my teenage bedroom turned out to be a roadmap for my future career. It's crazy. That's so like because that's, I mean, I and not to like kind of like I I had a similar situation where I was I was big into like music and learning different instruments and stuff like that, and so. For me, it was like in high school, high school for me was like the era of Napster. So it was like all of like discovering all these different bands or, you know, bands you'd never heard of. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That, that was one thing where uh, a friend of mine was just like handed me a CD and goes, dude, listen to this. You're, I don't know what you're going to think. I fucking love it. And so I took it and listened to it and it turned out to be uh, a band that I immediately like fell in love with and like learned all their songs and I was like, yeah, it's fucking great. Like, and then I found out like a year later or two that they were breaking up. And I was like, well, what the fuck? Um, and I ended up working for them individually, a band by the name of Dispatch. Um, cool. And so that was one of those things where it was like, I, I, I didn't have the posters, but like, you know, you look at it and you, and that's such a cool experience. And I kind of, I want to jump back about the internet thing because you were during the era of like the like 90s internet where it was like GeoCities and like, Yep. Oh, just not great. <laughs> oh, the my, was low. I mean, I look. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean the the graphics on my Nine Channels fan site are, are pretty pretty interesting <laughs> now. You know, lots of animated gifs. It's so funny because animated gif was like the thing for a while we looked back on as like the ultimate mark of a trashy website, and now yes. they're the most popular thing on the internet again. <laughs> exactly. It's so weird. <laughs> So everything kind of, and that's the cool thing is like everything kind of culminates from that picture. You have, you know, that moment. So let's talk about this. Now, when, 
when were you approached by DC and they were like, hey, we're going to reboot Vertigo? Um, it would have been summer of last year, I believe, or okay. early summer, uh, thereabouts. And um, I just, I was really like, I was traveling around in an RV with my wife and I, I wasn't really like, focus too much on what my next career moves were going to be. Like I'd been kind of just, uh, I'd, I'd moved out of LA and um, went on this whole adventure with, um, with my wife, got married, like all this stuff happened. And I wasn't really focused yet on, well, what am I going to do next? I was kind of tinkering around with a book idea that mm-hmm. someday I'll finish. Um, <laughs> but at the time that was kind of my plan was to, was to start like really getting more serious into that book idea but no idea where you know where it was going to end up, and um, then all of a sudden I get this email from this guy who's a DC editor, Andy Curry, and he's like, "Hey, would you just long shot here? But would you have any interest in uh, maybe pitching some comic book ideas to Vertigo?" I'm like, what? <laughs> he wrote it to me like, "Okay, I don't know if you sort of thing, but we're we're reaching out to different types of people outside of comics and." I just thought maybe you might be interested. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yes. I don't want to think <laughs> yes, about it. Wait, no, <laughs> fuck. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, I probably didn't even finish reading the email before I replied. <laughs> yes, the answer is yes. Uh, Whatever uh, um, the rest of that was. Yeah, and then, so I talked to him um, for a while about it, about you know their vision and what they were doing at Vertigo, and I thought it was pretty cool that they were looking at people who who they liked their storytelling in different mediums and saying, you know, could you bring something in a comics that's new? Uh, just basically looking for new voices to, to shake things up a little bit. Okay. And yeah. um, I thought that was cool because they, they went to some people from different uh, parts of the entertainment world who they thought were telling stories, you know, in just not in the conventional way. It was, um, the year zero ARG that he had experienced. Mm-hmm. So uh, at that point, it was like he was basically saying, "Come to us with a pitch, you know, put something together." So, um, so you were saying, so you know, you had thrown around some ideas, and one of them was a cyberpunk idea. Yeah. So um, I talked to them about uh, just if, you know when they were telling me what they're doing with Vertigo. Just off the top of my head, I was just thinking about some stuff I'd been doing some cyberpunk styled illustrations that, that were kind of meant to feel like something that came out of a, an animated series or something like that. And um, I had this character that was, that I've been toying around with for a while uh, called 13. who was a, it was much more cyberpunk in, in those early renditions. Um, but I wanted, I'd wanted at the time to like develop some kind of story uh, around her and her world, but I didn't really have a destination for it. So when, uh, when they asked me to pitch, that was where my head went to first because I'd really been into that world uh, right around that time, and I'd just drawn um, this character. So I started um, I started thinking about what kind of story I'd want to tell in that world, and um, went out in the forest and just did a ton of writing and brainstorming, and took a bunch of notes, and eventually this whole world started to build around it, and um, came up with like a huge amount of um, story and, and world building and characters and stuff that um, was way more than way more than needed for a pitch. But it was great because a, a lot of the 
like huge arcs of the story came all at once at the beginning. Oh wow! And and um, then I pitched to them. They came back and said they love it, but uh, my my first my first instinct was I really wanted to connect it to um, to our future as as humans and Americans right now in 2018 right um without it being super direct but i was trying to be kind of realistic about um things that could happen in a timetable in a sort of year zero sort of way and they came back and said we love this but can you make it weirder and i was oh. like oh like i i realized i was being conservative a little bit by by trying to connect it and, and make it um, contemporary in a sense so i was like okay that's a great note their only note is make it weirder. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so I kicked the story a couple hundred years further into the future and made it weirder. <laughs> and, and it was, and it, uh, it worked out really great because it became something that's it like, it feels like fantasy science fiction, almost the world we're, we're building. It doesn't really feel like a direct future from right now. Um, but it is in a, in a way that, that makes sense in the story. So I kind of get to do these alien looking like landscapes almost. Um, But it's all based on right now. Yeah. And like I was going to say, you guys dropped um, because you were just in in New York City for New York City Comic Con and you guys dropped uh, a poster of where high level kind of takes place. Yeah. Um, Which to me looks like it's uh, like northern Canada. Yep, that's correct. Uh, Former, former Canada in in this timeline. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so you'll, no- you'll notice some of the, uh, if, if you, if you study the map, it's actually geographically accurate, except you'll see that there's a lot more water. The, the water lines right. have come in quite a bit. Um, yeah. and, and then a lot of things have been renamed. Um, but it, it does actually correspond to real places. Yeah. And that was the one thing that I was, I was noticing through looking at the map and then also kind of seeing what other people were saying as you guys dropped information, not just, uh, the, the poster, but also the 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 panels with Sans text, um, yeah. and I love the art. Looks fantastic. Yeah, I, I I'm so blown away by what uh, what's coming out of of Barnaby and Rom. It's just it's it. I couldn't imagine it looking any more like I wanted it to look in my head. It's great. Now, is that like did when when vertigo finally like when dc and vertigo finally said okay yeah this is this is yours this, we'll do this high level uh story um you know how uh, now did they give you like an issue number or are you guys like is it kind of like as it goes it i i have six issues that i'm guaranteed okay and then beyond that we we hope that there's enough interest that, that we can keep going because uh, the the entire story is an 18 issue arc oh wow all right that's awesome. So it would it would not be cool if it ended at, at uh, issue no. six because it's a huge cliffhanger at the end of issue six. <laughs> um, so uh, were you were they did they kind of allow you to kind of choose or did they kind of have they, did they kind of say, well, here's here's who we have artist wise. Like, or were you able to kind of say who I wanted? Like um, my my editor, Andy, who's been really vital to the whole process, not just in terms of editing and putting it together, but having a lot of great creative insight and helping with the story and all kinds of stuff. Um, he started putting together, like he asked me to, to look around and see if I had any suggestions for artists. And then he put together a short list as well. 
And uh, we laid a bunch of them out on the table. And the one I was, I, I really, I really didn't want it to look too comic booky. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to have a more um, painterly feel. Like I kept referencing Mobius. That's that was like the art that I saw in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of style, like a little more European sci-fi kind of look. And um, and Barnaby and Rom stuff just jumped out immediately to me it's like the, the level of detail that they put into it and the way everything feels like a fully fleshed out world uh and the the sci-fi skills they have are crazy so that that was my top choice and uh, and andy's as well and it turned out that they were really excited to work on it so that worked out great that's awesome um can you and i know if if you if you can't if you can't give us like a, a because I don't want to, I don't want to spoil anything. But like, is there is there anything that you can give us in terms of like at least thirteen and her uh, computer or AI uh, partner in crime? Uh, like, kind of like a little bit of their story and like who they are. Um, I don't want to say too much, but thirteen at the beginning is uh, she's just a loner. She's a She's an outlander. She lives in their world, what they call South, uh, which is kind of middle America to the North right now. But to them, it's South because everything below that is pretty uninhabitable at this mm-hmm. point. So she lives in the outlands and um, she's she empties septic tanks for a living. So we, we first meet her on the job. That's a page where she's wearing a gas mask and emptying a shit tank in her little sucking pump trailer that she drives around to um, local establishments and empties their septic for them because there's no power grid here. There's no, you know, there's no sewage system. There's, they had to build everything, rebuild everything sort of on their own. So she empties the shit tanks. Um, But she also uses that as a cover um, to smuggle data chips. And that's, that's kind of her real bread and butter. And the, um, the septic tank thing is a perfect cover because it lets her get into places she wouldn't normally be able to get into. So we meet her on the job and her, um, her little robot sidekick Ezra is something she kind of, she kind of tinkers with. She, she likes to build little robotic things and, and program things and all of it's scrapped together from old technology that they found. So he's, he's very like it. The whole thing is a mix of old and new technology Okay. It's all been it's all been kind of Frankenstein together by these people. So on one hand, you've got an autonomous drone that's well beyond the technology we have now. But on the other hand, he has no AI or anything like that. He's he's just got simple voice commands because she built him. So it's kind of fun because get to get rid of the internet, get to, get to get rid of anything network based. That's technology, uh, and then have some stuff that's more primitive than we have now and some stuff that's beyond what we have now. That's insane. That's so I'm yeah. Cause I, you'd said a little bit and I'd seen a little bit of the stuff that came out from New York city. And I was like, okay, like I got to see like all the stuff of like, you know, uh, the, the panel sans text, uh, which, which really drew me in because of the art. And then you also had, uh, the map as well. And we kind of talked a little bit about that now. Um, your map lays out, you know, what you're seeing and where everything is, as we already gone over. Um, 
what I, what else on top? Because I know we talked about this, and I kind of wanted to hear a little bit more about it. But what else did you kind of would it, would you have liked to have done in terms of you know if there was like addendums and or like more <laughs> world building on top of this for for uh, high level? Uh, John, you'd ask. Uh, yeah. you'd ask about something. Yeah. yeah. What's your what's your what what album art has you you've done album art for Nine Inch Nails, as I understand it. This is this is what we're talking about. Yes. Okay. <laughs> which which ones have you done? Because actually, I'm not sure which. Like, have you done every album? No, no. Um, I've art directed uh, pretty much every album since um, since I guess the early 2000s. Um, but um, a few of them were my artwork and some of them were um, other artists. So like easiest ones to look at off the top of my head that was all of my art was um, with teeth and um, the slip. Okay. okay, Well, with teeth, I actually, well, when I had CDs, I owned that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Um, You know, because what the fuck is a CD? But yeah, I, uh, Okay. Yeah, and then like you know, Year Zero, um, I art directed, and it has some of my art in it. But the cover image was actually made um, by a digital artist that we that we found to bring some stuff to life. Um, so, uh, you know, Ghosts is an album that I designed and art directed, but the the photo on the cover is by um, a different photographer. So, uh-huh. it's kind of like I'm kind of in and out of all of them, but they were all kind of under my art direction umbrella. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Yeah, that actually. Now that you say that, like, I look at the slip, the the cover for the slip, and I, I immediately just I now know that that's instantly you after seeing all the stuff that you've posted of your own art online. Oh, on yeah, Twitter, <laughs> yeah. It's instantly recognizable in my head. It's like, oh yeah, that's definitely Rob. Um, so I will ask because John, I mean, we're since we're on this topic. Um, so you also did a lot of the the stage work as well. Um, yes. For the tours, did you also did you uh, did you do the beside you in time as well? For the DVD yeah right? yeah i beside you in time for the cover mm-hmm. did you say yeah i did the, i did the cover for that i also directed it um so i, I did directed and edited the whole thing holy fuck okay i didn't even put two and two oh my god um <laughs> that's that's one of my favorites that's absolutely one of my favorites. oh yeah cool I, I did a lot of the uh I did this you know a lot of the um stuff you see on the stage there and then i um directed and edited the the video and uh, did the album artwork so i'm all over that one <laughs> that's awesome um so let's let's get back to what we kind of what we had to disconnect over um is is the the like lore and world building for high level um because i know a little bit of that came through and a little bit of it got lost when we were recording previously um, yeah let, let me let me just like start over on on a part of yeah. that i think um, so w- one of the things since I was in this, like, since I really wanted to do something that had an eighties cyberpunk feel to it, but I also wanted to do something that was connected to 2018 and, and offered a direct, uh, glimpse into the future. Um, so in order to kind of, kind of keep an eighties cyberpunk aesthetic to it, um, part of what happens between now and then is and and you can you can imagine this pretty easily when you think about how everything is increasingly relying on network connectivity all of our technology and not just our technology but our communication um, our memories our media everything and if you imagine any number of um, 
cataclysmic things happening in the in the coming years. Um, we just learned that global warming is going to be a catastrophe much sooner than anyone thought. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the UN uh, report has gotten very little play. Way too little. But, yes, I mean, we are heading for the apocalypse. People are like, whatever, dude, I'm going to Disney World. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's coming and you know, when you when you layer on top of that all the all the kind of um, domino effect things that happen uh, from mass migrations to um, you know wars over resources um, and and a lot of um, a lot of where I ended up with high level had to do with what happens after all that goes to shit and not just what happens but how how different types of um, people in society have, have dealt with it and survived it and one of the main overlying themes is how differently the one percent is going to survive um, global warming than the ninety nine percent, and uh, and that's a real thing. They're like the richest people on earth are already trying to figure out plans for you know how to survive all these things that they see coming, um, up to and including people revolting <laughs> against the consolidation yeah. of wealth and uh, income inequality and all that. So. If you imagine a future where a number of things have happened, which is the backstory that would be interesting to tell at some point, but it's hinted at in the book, um, you have a people who have lost their history and technology has long since been disrupted, but they find things um, from the past. They they um, dig into these underground um, hermetically sealed emergency storage units that became popular you know, as global warming and migration were wiping things out, mm-hmm. people would get these pods and put their stuff in it. And then turned out no one came back for them because everyone migrated north. So these outland people, they scavenge these things and they find all these old things that have been well-preserved. But, you know, they don't have internet. They don't have ongoing technology. They don't have an infrastructure for it. So they piece together things. And that kind of gave me a way to have a very... 80s retro future world where everything's physical it's wired it's cabled it's it's you know they transfer data on little chips that they have to physically transport and um that was the aesthetic that i really wanted to bring somehow into our future wow that's i mean holy fuck that's fucking great like i you know and you don't really think about it until you like because like I look at my parents and like my parents still have like photo books and that kind of stuff. And then like I guarantee they look at me and like look at this idiot. Like all of his phone, all of his photos are on his phone. Like, yeah. Anything yeah. happens to that phone, that's gone. Or anything happens to his hard drive, it's gone. Yeah. And and in the future it'll be if something happens to the data center where it's mm-hmm. all stored, it'll be gone. And give it a few more decades and the data center gets wiped out. Well, now your car doesn't drive anymore. Now your fucking now your toaster won't turn on, you know. <laughs> so yeah, we, we thought we, it connected everything to building... Alexa was going to be amazing, but now, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, we're building a future that assumes that this infrastructure is all going to continue to be there, yeah. right? And and there's a lot of indications that that might not be the case um, when we go far enough ahead of time. So so um, yeah, so it's kind of fun to be able to to mix technology that we don't have yet, like her floating little robot buddy Ezra that she built from scraps, but who has terrible AI because it's all just hardwired. It's all, it's all hard programmed. Like he doesn't even have a voice chip. He just, he just like R2D2 buzzes and beeps, but he can take commands and stuff, you know? So it's like, it's, it's a scrappy future, which, which I like, but 
as the story progresses, we're going to get to the place where all the wealthy and powerful people went. And it's a very different story up there. Interesting. I'm fucking, I'm super fucking stoked. To this. That sounds, I, I mean, I, I'm not stoked about the potential possibility that this could be in the future. Yeah, we're going to live this yeah. shit. I mean, but yeah, uh, yeah it's going to be great. Um, that I, I, you've laid out something so interesting to me. And I feel like there's going to be a bunch of other people who are going to see the exact same thing and go, oh yeah, this is, this is absolutely something i would read because it's partially something that could happen but it's also got a little bit of everything that i like about it um yeah it, it's it's as much of a fantasy as i could as i could um make it so it doesn't feel just like a it's not a handmaid's tale depressing dystopian thing you know yeah. it's it's still it's still a fun adventure that takes place in an interesting world but it, it does have connections to you could probably just read it as a purely a sci-fi adventure and be satisfied and, and not even try to think about what it all means but it has some big themes that come about later in the book interesting i'm fucking so stoked i i'm curious though like so um you trans you, you basically went from building websites and then doing art direction and then now like you did your own art as well which a lot of it is what um people i i would call what you call is is glitch art Mm-hmm. And you have a whole thing where you kind of like give people the means on how to kind of replicate that as well. Yeah. Um, so, and now you're, and now you're writing comics. Like, wh- how does that feel? Like now you're like, here you are in this, it, cause that's a lot of things I like to talk about with people is like you, you start somewhere at one point and you're like, I want to do this. And then it changes over time. And then you get to a point where like, you're doing, like, I would have never thought that I'd be doing a podcast i don't think john does either like john and i just like to bullshit we that's that's the reason why this all happened yeah the title <laughs> <laughs> and it's just one of those things where like i'm curious about like where if you look at it like and here you are like i'm i'm now writing for dc vertigo which is now being re, like reborn again like how does how does that how does that look to you and like do you look back at it back at younger you and go like dude you like look at this like look at what we're doing oh yeah for sure i, I definitely <laughs> <laughs> blow it would, my head would explode go scanners all over the place <laughs> um if i knew about this when i was a teenager right but for me it kind of all actually it it might seem given my career that it's it's like whoa i didn't expect him to be a writer writing comic books now but to me it all goes full circle back to my youth when i wanted to make comic books <laughs> you know i used to draw my own comic books all the time um when i was a kid and um i even in college and stuff, I was making comics, but I never really, I always thought of it was, it would be something that I would do as a hobby eventually, but I felt like, well, if I'm doing a comic, I should do the art. I like to do art. And turns out I'm not a very good comic book artist because I'm too slow. You know, that's a very specific skill. It's a, it's a craft that I'm in awe of that these guys can, can do this amazing artwork so much of it so fast it's incredible yeah whenever i see somebody like this looks rushed i'm like fuck you like (laughs) you have no idea what this guy did to do this like come on the the amount of work that goes into comics is mind-blowing and people really do take it for granted i think i mean obviously comics fans who are really into comic book artists and stuff they they get it they know but a lot of people i think just just don't understand how much work goes into every single page and um so I think for me, 
this goes back to what I used to do when I was younger, is write a lot and come up with stories and characters and stuff. And um, it's kind of freeing to be the writer director of it and not have to be bogged down into becoming a perfectionist. And it'd probably take me two years to do one issue of the comic if I was drawing it. So it's, it's, um, you know, I, I was always really into storytelling when I was young and I tried to weave storytelling into everything I did with Nine Inch Nails, even if it was abstract storytelling. Right. So this feels like a natural destination to me to, to actually get into like hard narrative storytelling. I now hear a relic from the past in the background. Yeah, no shit. A home <laughs> <laughs> His children will be listening and be like, what the fuck is that noise? Yeah, it's, a, it's a home phone. Yeah. Um, home so... phone? <laughs> landline. <laughs> this is a landline. <laughs> oh, the... Yeah, I still have one of those. Um, the, the, the other thing that kind of um, that primed me for this in some ways, but also made me realize I wanted to get back into writing was um, when we were working on a uh, year zero miniseries for HBO. And um, I, about I, that. Yeah. I put me and Trent worked a lot on that. And I put a shitload of time into building out the world and fleshing out characters and coming up with story ideas. And um, that on top of the original year zero just made me realize, fuck man, I want to create something like this. I want to get, I want to get into world building and storytelling. And, and um, that was my goal was to, was to do some writing and, and do some book projects um, after leaving Nine Inch Nails. So this couldn't have worked out any better. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's so fucking like that. I, to feel it come like full circle for you, like to hear that, that's super fucking cool. Like, Hey man, I did this. And then you did something else for a while and you came back to it. That's, that's just the fucking coolest thing. And, and to do it for DC Vertigo, which, like, I mean, I love a lot of the DC Vertigo, the old DC Vertigo stuff. I mean, Transmetropolitan, Free Trek, like, my top two. Oh, the, uh, those, those were what I, like, those changed my life when I was oh a teenager, you know? Because I was right at that age in the mid-90s. Like, I didn't, I was reading superhero books, and I didn't realize it yet, but I was kind of looking for something deeper. And, and, and you know, I was looking for the next level. And then I accidentally found it um, in Sandman, and it was like it just opened up my mind to like how much comics can do, and and how how they could grow with me. And uh, then I got into all the other Virgo titles of the time, and got into more you know indie comics and you know more avant-garde stories and stuff. So yeah, I mean Virgo was hugely important to me. Yeah, and like that's the other thing too is like we've had I, I mean for our podcast ourselves like we've had a bunch from uh of artists and and writers from a, a group called alterna and we've talked to them and they're like they're they're it's like a one-man show he he there's one dude who is in charge of like publishing they do it all on newsprint um and it's every comic's a dollar fifty that we've been kind of we've talked to a bunch of their different like talent like writers and stuff like that and they've been there have been a bunch of really great comics that we've been able to read from them and and that's another cool thing that like to be able to see that kind of grow against you know against the grain i guess which is like the superhero marvel big dc like kind of titles yeah well comics has always been like i mean in in every era of it there's always been so much creativity happening in the small press world and and in now it's um 
you know, what was, what was like people making zines and home printing their own comics back in the nineties. Now it's on the like Kickstarters and stuff like that Yeah, where people can publish their own stuff. And um, I think it's so great that it's a medium that anyone can get into at any level. And, and there's always support there. You know, there's always people who want to read those indie comics, which is exactly. great. And there's, and there's a bit because like, I, we've talked, we've talked about it in DMS on Twitter a bit and I, I kind of it, it was back up in the news and john and i talked about it in our last episode that we recorded um towards the end um you know the news came out that chuck wendy got got released from got fired from marvel yeah um, and there's there's a, a certain stigma of like not basically the way i'd say it is you're not able to be yourself uh on on social media uh, or else, you know, someone's going to say, oh, well, look at what he's saying online. He shouldn't work for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. What what's your I, I feel like you put it up and I and I don't want to misquote, but I know and feel that like I know DC Vertigo, ha- they though they have your backs, all of your backs. Uh, Vertigo's been insanely. They, you know, they knew what they were getting into by, you know, when they chose someone like Zoe Quinn, for example, mm-hmm. you know. Zoe Quinn's been at war with internet trolls for yeah. for for a long time, very Hard publicly, and is and is you know hugely outspoken as am I as a, as are a number of others. Um, so you know they knew what they were getting into, and that's part of the message that they wanted was they wanted you know outspoken people with with socially conscious ideas. Um, so I don't think there's any illusion that um, that any of us are going to shut up about politics or whatever on the internet but you know vertigo can get away with that because that's the whole point of the line right is to be challenging is to be it's a you know it's an adult line um and it it, you know it's my own comic i'm not out there repping superman or something you know (laughs) you know if i was the guy who's named superman I, i don't know if they'd want me telling paul ryan to eat his ass on twitter i don't know (laughs) but um but it but it's weird though with someone like chuck where it's like this is who he is and that's so intrinsic to his personality and his opinions and it's so intrinsic to who he is and how he writes and everything um that when you when you look at these like bigger franchises getting getting their cages rattled by these right-wing trolls it sets a really dangerous precedent you know The, the, the message it sends to me as a writer on Vertigo is, well, you know, if I ever wanted to try and write for Batman or something, I'd have to clean my act up, you know, <laughs> I'd have to not, I'd have to not be myself um, publicly. And that's weird. That's a weird thing to do to creative people because I think who we are, we are, you know, in our politics, in our, in our, in the way we present ourselves online, in our personal lives is so intertwined with our art you, you can't you can't separate those two and i think these companies need to learn a little bit more that we live in a new world now where mm-hmm. you can go and see the personal thoughts of a writer but you know that doesn't mean he's putting those thoughts on your pages so just let him do his thing you know and and that's something i feel like because you look at the james gunn situation you look at the chuck situation and you and you look at that and you go well how do you how do you say this now after like this is this this isn't new 
none of this is new for people. Like they knew this was there and they were still going to buy or watch, you know, watch your movie or buy your comic book. Yeah. I mean, look, look at like James Gunn's shitty joke tweets were out there and yeah. it didn't cost them any money in Guardians of Revenues, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I think there's just some, I mean, I don't know what's going on, but I think there's a, in not just in at Marvel, but in a lot of these companies now, there's people who don't know how to navigate this world and they don't they don't know how to identify these bad faith campaigns and there's some people out there who still see all this negative feedback coming in like can't believe you would allow someone who says this to write star wars comics i am i will support your company ever again and they they just freak out they're like oh my god oh my god oh my god big problem you know and they they pull a trigger on it and they're not so far there's there's a generation i think of people who hold all the purse strings who aren't savvy enough to see this playbook that's been acted out again and again and again for years now yeah and it's just and i guess for me as someone who really does enjoy someone like chuck wendig's writing um to see him you know tweet out like hey guys like i got fired i'm not gonna be doing shadows of vader anymore like that's a bummer to me because i was really looking like i i had read a lot of the vader like star wars like comic books and like, from marvel and now i'm looking at it and going well well i, I don't really want to spend money on that if it's not if chuck's not writing it like yeah i mean i it was crazy i just i had just congratulated him on the, yeah. the annou- announcement of of the new uh vader series and um and then it was like days later it was weird and it, it just it, to me it just sends it sends such a terrible message mm-hmm. to young creators who want to break into an industry it says you can you have to choose between being yourself and getting this job so exactly it, it's gonna it's gonna stifle a lot of a lot of valuable voices because chuck's voice was valuable yes. you know is valuable um, both on page and off and I wasn't familiar with Chuck's with Chuck at all until I caught wind of him on Twitter for his politics and that I got to know him, you know, and then I found out about his work. And I know a lot of people have have started following me and will be checking out high level because I'm outspoken. And right. and I think it's it's a shame to think that there's anyone who's actually genuinely gonna not buy a Darth Vader comic book because this guy tweets stuff, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's not real. It's all fake outrage. And, yeah. and they really, if they don't savvy up soon, we're going to, we're going to lose a lot of good voices on, on both sides of the page and out of it, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. I just want to say real quick, like I, yes, hundred percent. Yes. I'm saying you can't be on Twitter and all that stifles like potential like sales and like out, you know, you, won't be found then potentially if you're just like well I'll just stay off social media well that really isn't even an option nowadays um, no and 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 you know you know who i think are the most boring people right now on social media are creators who stick to purely just talking about what they do and their craft and promoting their art yeah i like to know a little more about them as a person you know like what is informing what they're doing like i i i I like that little window into the world. I don't agree with everything everyone I like as a creator does, says or does, but that's what the fuck ever. Dude, if 
if Rick Remender can say some crazy shit about whoever, fine, say that. You wrote an amazing Venom. That is it. Or on Kenny X-Force. I don't give a fuck. Like, who gives a shit? You know what? Chick-fil-A hates the games yeah. or whatever. I like chicken sandwiches. You know what? So, like, I, I, sorry. I'm going to hell. But, like, fuck it. Uh, it's just, like, so uh, whatever. You can disagree with what they're saying. You don't have to take away their goddamn job. You don't have to, like, make a commotion. That's why, yeah, it's just fake outrage. People are just making a tizzy. Because they can. Tizzy, what the fuck does that mean? But anyway, I'm just saying, like, yeah, man, what the hell? It's it's scary, crazy time to be alive that you got to be held accountable for anything you've ever said, ever. Yeah, it's it, and it's another one of those things that I think will gradually change as, as, a, as a new generation. I, I've been saying this for a long time. The baby boomers need to go. Sorry, Mom, yeah. but the baby boomers, <laughs> you guys need to let go of yeah. – they they hold they hold all the power. They hold way too much political influence. It's all they're all Congress is filled with them. Just yeah. stop. Yeah. Just go enjoy your retirement. You're the last generation that's gonna have it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just, yeah, let us yeah, let us fix the mess you made. My, Christ. My kids at best are gonna be war boys from Mad Max. So like I don't yeah, fucking just get <laughs> yeah, going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I I think once once you get a full generational turnover and you've got people, you know, high up in companies, high up in, in government who grew up in a world where they probably have nudes online somewhere, <laughs> you know, <laughs> once a generation that's used to, you know, growing up with an internet past uh, is in power. I think it change a lot of things because once everyone understands what that, what that means and can contextualize this kind of stuff, it, it you, you know you won't have these knee-jerk reactions i think but that's going to take time and there's yeah. it's a bumpy road to get there yeah and it you know it, like you said it sets a dangerous precedent for i mean just every like every side of this for both you know readers and the people who are writing and creating it's it really just puts someone in a place where you know like you said it, you you have to make that choice and it really shouldn't be that way it really it should just be like Hey, this is who I am. This is the story I'm writing. Fucking buy it or don't. Like that's literally what it comes down to. And I've yeah. never looked at that for a, for like any like musician, uh, game developer, uh, comic book creator. Like I've never like I, I mean certain people I will like if they're if they're if their art or their story talks to me and I love what I'm reading. I I can give a shit less what you say online. But if you're you know it's it's just it's so fucking weird, man. It's just it's a fucking bummer. I was so bummed to read that about Chuck. Yeah. Well, I, and I, I think it's a, it comes down to this like intersection of art and commerce because, you know, in the world of pure, you know, I'd say pure art, but I guess, you know, in an art world where someone's an, an artist or a writer making their own things and putting them out into the world, um, it's, it's kind of like, you, you don't have to like me. You don't have to like my art, buy it or don't. I hope you like it. You know? Yeah. But when it's, when it, you know, when you have this commerce side of it, where these companies start to look at these people as employees, or you're here to make a, to make a Darth Vader story or whatever, um, then, like, they don't see, they start to stop looking at it as art and just look at it as pure commerce. And, and I think something gets lost there when they don't allow these people to be the artists that they are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because so much of that is is who you are all the way around, you know? Yeah. And, and you, you can't, you just can't like say, just shut up and write a comic book. 
you know it's it, yeah. it, it it it's not it's not the way that art should be so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out but it's probably going to get worse before it gets better unfortunately yeah it's and that's that's a little frightening because uh, i know i know several other um really talented people and i i think they're okay they're they're more on like the image side of of comics not like the big two um, mm-hmm. they're very they're very outspoken uh on on social media um so i mean i was john layman who's, who did chew and is did charlie's angels and is working on like several new but he's got leviathan and um his newest one outer darkness which is coming out soon uh and then of course rob gullery um which his i mean farmhand if you haven't if i mean John, have you picked that up yet? Not yet. I, my, really well, I'm waiting for my voiceover agent to hit me up. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's the thing is like, you know, there's certain voices that I still read that I know are very vocal. And I would, I would hate to see them get thrown to the wolves because, well, he said this online. And because of that, I'm not going to buy it. And it's like, it's again, it's just like, you weren't going to buy it in the first place. Or you were. Exactly. exactly. Or mad that yeah. his, his ideals don't line up with you. Um, yeah yeah that they they just don't want certain voices to have to to be able to say anything or and and they want to shut them up and it's it's sad that they that they have these little victories because some companies aren't savvy enough to this yet right um i don't i don't want to end on like the the horridness of of comics gate and there's something that john and i do on our podcast and i and i know uh you're a gamer as well so i gotta ask uh, what are you playing right now? Well, <laughs> um, not much actually. I Outside I've been moving deadlines and moving. Yeah, I've been moving and and had deadlines, so I haven't like, and also like like I've been living nomadically for so long. And when I'm out in the RV, like I can't play anything that needs online connectivity or anything like that. So I'm playing a lot of Super Nintendo, <laughs> Ooh, <nice. laughs> and. Um, my my wife and I have become addicted to the Super Nintendo Family Feud game. We, oh, that's crazy like, specific. <laughs> yeah, it, I know, I know. <laughs> Believe me, I I got a I got a um, Super NES Mini and hacked it to like put a whole bunch of ROMs on it. Hell so yeah, it's got a bunch of uh, me yeah. too. <laughs> and, yeah, and when we were just browsing through the games and just like we were looking for like fun two-player game and just came upon family feud and don't don't knock it okay because <laughs> there's there's something great about it because it's all questions that you have to filter through how people in 1992 answered <laughs> so Ooh, yeah you're right oh my God. so we we like we drink a bunch of wine at night and then just like play family feud against each other and just like laugh so hard at the answers we put in and what the answers end up being like it'll be like name something a rich person would have two of in their house and like answer three is like a vcr <laughs> you know oh <laughs> so wow, that sounds incredible just, just and and the and the graphics the little characters on them are terrible but hilarious so that's been one of our um that's been one of our recent rituals but now that i finally just got everything like set up all night it's coming tv my system set up to dive into some some serious games. I still have a lot of work to do on Spider-Man. Hell yeah, um, I love that game. How far are you? Have you? Do you remember what happened last? I'm not very far at all. 
I I was chasing pigeons last time I played it, and then I had to pack everything up. So I'm, I haven't played it in a couple weeks. Spider Man's using but... his time wisely. Yeah, whenever I'm doing shit like that, I'm like I'm ignoring this crime because there's a pigeon and or backpack in the general vicinity. Yeah, yeah. I was I just got you know the, the weekend it came out when everyone was playing it. I dove in really really hard, and then I was like, okay, I have to put this aside because I have too much work to do. But I I found myself starting a mission getting killed and then being like, fuck it. I'm going to go just swing around the city and catch some bitchins. It's so much fun to just, or that when I went to New York recently for Comic-Con, I found myself like, Oh, I was just here, but I could get around so much easier. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I felt like I, I felt like I'd visited New York. More than and it was weird that I had to walk around on two legs like an idiot. This is bullshit. <laughs> you know? I should be running on these walls. Exactly. <laughs> Oh man. Um, well, dude, I, I can't thank you enough, Rob, for coming on and talking with us. Um, once high level drops, man, I really want you to come back so we can kind of dive in more and talk about what you're doing with it. Yeah. Yeah. After, uh, after we get a couple, couple issues rolling and, and the story gets going, I definitely love to talk. It's a lot more about it. It's kind of hard to talk about right now because I don't right. say too much. And, and it's tricky too, because the, um, ben Blacker, just Hex Wives, um, said this thing at San Diego Comic Con that really stuck with me when he was talking about um, all the books on the new Vertigo slate. He was like, So it's about something, but then it's about something, you know? <laughs> and and it's like, I feel like his book, definitely Border Town and American Carnage, they really get to what it's about, mm-hmm. you know, what it's about, about very quickly. And mine's a slow burn. Like it takes a while. At first, it's just a, a fun sci-fi adventure story, and then what it's really about starts to bubble under the surface and really show it later in the later in the series. Because I wrote it in um, in three six-issue chapters, basically. It's kind of a saga. So once we get a few issues out, I'd love to talk more about it. Oh, Hell dude, yeah. absolutely. We will definitely love. We would love to have you back. Um, Rob, we, we like to do is we like to make sure our guests uh, can let our audience know where the fuck they can find you. So, sir, where the fuck can they find you? <laughs> Easiest place is uh, find me talking a lot of shit on Twitter at uh, <laughs> I'm at Rob underscore Sheridan, and uh, I'm also the same on Instagram. If you just want pretty pictures and less shit talking. <laughs> awesome, dude! Thank you so much for joining us, John. Where can everyone find you? My- Oh, you can find me on YouTube. I am Isaac Haas on YouTube. Um, there's a reason that's that, but fuck why. Uh, it, or you go to www.hoz.zone. That'll take you to my YouTube as well. You can also find me on Twitter, at Posh, P-O-S-C-H. That is Posh, P-O-S-C-H. I was just talking about suction cups not three days ago. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I am at M. Hilger on the tweets. Uh, I also have added a Twitch account and a Beard Stroking Bullshit Twitter account, which you can find at Bearded Bullshit uh, or at Shtick in a Box for my Twitch account in Twitch TV. Shtick in a Box. And uh, you can always find us on Facebook over at Facebook.com slash Beard Stroking Bullshit. Guys, thank you so much for joining us this week. Rob, can't wait to have you back. Everyone, have a good one. Thanks, guys.